You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back, Land Lakes Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye, and we've got something good for you this week. Very timely. Very. Uh, I think it's probably hot on the mind of everybody right now as we look at what was it I saw? Seventy-three percent of the United States had some form of ice sleet or snow coverage i believe it when i looked at the map i mean there was a very small sliver of the extreme east coast and then coastal portions of georgia pretty much all of florida that were excluded from the massive blast of cold weather that the country experienced and not that many other i mean i think you know california new mexico arizona kind of had their uh they were out of the, the realm of things too, but I mean, everybody else was just frigid for yep. a long time. For a long, for, <laughs> for a good week. I mean, it was it's crazy to see the the snow across uh, Louisiana, the the well, frozen Galveston Beach had it, yep. all the way yep. onto the sand, yep. which is just insane to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, widespread. Yeah, like, and, and I think that's what makes. Obviously, the, the podcast more, um, like I said, timely and applicable to people is like, what, what happens here? Like, what? Yep. I'm worried. Well, should you be worried? Um, we're gonna answer all that kind of stuff in this week's podcast. Yep. Before we jump in, we do need to make sure everyone is aware of the opportunity with NDA and the Habitat module that we'll be hosting June 11th and 12th in North Missouri. We're actually doing a kind of a 
big collaboration with NDA, Onyx Maps, and us here at Land Land and Legacy discussing essentially how we do property assessments. So all the information that we bring to the table before we get to a site visit, what we're thinking, and then we align it with the goals of the property, go out and see the property, and then determine what needs to happen. Essentially, we are going to be doing that for a farm in northern Missouri. Those two days, would love to see you all there. If you're interested, go check it out www.nda.com and register there on their Habitat Modules event tab. That's right. I was sitting here looking at it just to see what, what they had posted on Facebook about about it. And uh, it's exciting stuff. I, I just love looking at that farm. Whenever that uh, drone shot was taken, that was whenever there was... Pre-transformation. Pre-major transformation. Uh, there was lots of corn and soybean mm. fields, and now it's a lot of... Uh, it was a very typical North Missouri farm. Yeah. Little wooded draws, little wooded ravines, a few little wood lots, but mostly it was open ground that was tillable. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of that has been planted in a, uh, a native blends focusing on quail and pheasants. Yes. And so it's more of a short variety um, lots of fo- it's heavy very forb heavy, um, and so that's uh, it's pretty pretty awesome to see. June we were be, there. June will be an awesome time to hear all those Bob Whites up there whistling. That's right all across the farm too. Yep, yep. And we were there. Man, was that when was that? We were there, twenty eighteen spring. Yeah, we were there in the fall, late summer fall. In 17, the first time on site, but in 2018, yes, we did. We went and turkey hunted this farm. Yep. Killed some birds. Yep. And uh, you killed a bird. No, you killed earlier in the week. Yep. But the the landowner and gracious host of the event, he killed, and then you killed the second day, I believe it was. Yep. Second morning. And uh, yeah. No, it's awesome. It's an awesome place. Um, But it'll be cool to be able to talk you know, historical features of the property, what what should be there, then go and see the habitat, see the signs, and then what does that all mean then for the follow-up management? What What is it offering? What is it not offering? That's the kind of property assessment that we're going to be going through and ex- essentially just sharing exactly how we look and examine, evaluate properties. For sure. A lot of hands-on learning experiences through yep. that event. It'll be fun. Before we jump in, you want to give them a shout-out at some of the people that make this podcast possible. Absolutely. So Vortex, if you're not checked them out, American-owned, veteran-owned, Wisconsin-based optics company. They design, engineer, produce, and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Dedicated to provide unrivaled customer service and exceptional quality, Vortex backs its products with the unconditional transferable lifetime VIP warranty built on 30 years of experience in the optics industry. Check them out, vortexoptics.com. There you go. You know, when I look at what's going on in the country right now, as far as wildlife standpoint, I know everybody went, oh, no, here we go. When I said what's going on in the country, they were like, ugh, I'm sick of it. But we're talking about wildlife. What's going on in the world of wildlife? We've had a major cold front push across a polar vortex push across uh, much of the country and bring cold temperatures 
and snow and ice and power outages and just very, very hard times for a lot of wildlife and people too. But um, specifically, since we're a wildlife-based company here, um, let's talk a little bit today about how do I know my deer are starving? Now, we'll talk about other animals, but specifically, since whitetail deer, deer is the popular one that a lot of that we get hired for a lot of our listeners enjoy talking about the most we're going to talk more about how do i know my deer are starving and all the indicators that that may be uh that that may be occurring on landscape to say oh ding 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 all the things they mentioned i've found on my farm Mm -hmm. now how do i fix that and and i think that Obviously, we're we're talking about this after the event, right? After the big cold snap. So hopefully, we don't experience that that again this year, um, because that that would be very detrimental. I had a conversation with a gentleman. It was a client called, and he's like, "Hey, you know what? What's worse? What we experienced? You know, um, you know this this past week and those just absolutely cold temperatures. We only had like five inches of snow in the ground where I was at, but yeah." And this is northern Iowa, very long, sustained cold winters, or yeah. like, you know, snow in, in February. I said, honestly, you got to look at a couple of things. The timing of the event really can play more of a, um, an impact than a longer sustained cold snap or event earlier in the winter time frame. Yeah. There's a lot of things, you know, food has certainly begun to to decrease as winter gets along. So if you get something in late February, early March that is sustained or ice covered, um, those nasty cold temperatures, just the individual themselves, deer, turkey, they're already at their last little bit of, um, let's say, ability to make it through a winter. And if you're in those extreme temperatures, right? If you're yeah. if you're way up north. But they're they're at their let's say wits end, and then the opportunity for good quality forage that's available or accessible is honestly probably close to being depleted. That's the event that I get more worried about than something that that did recently occur. If I'm in good habitat, but we're talking about something that already happened, so we need to look and read the signs of what did we see during this event or what's to follow in the next couple of weeks to know, holy cow, um, do I need to do something about this? I, yeah. How many, how, how many times do we talk uh. about, man, most, most of the habitat across the country is just poor. Like For it's sure. just in, in, in disarray. It, it's, it's unproductive to and, say the least. And a lot of times we don't realize that the, the habitat is poor until an event like what happened this past sure. week comes in and it's almost like we've taken something poor and we've held it on the fire to test its strength. And we said, ooh, that it's doesn't work. Melting. Just yeah. like recently, my father found a, uh, a shed antler or an, an antler, part of an antler. And um, it was on the, on, on the family farm and he, uh, he brought it back. And we had a deer uh, early in the fall, you know, mid-October, all of a sudden, decent buck showed up with a broken, broke off just above his brow tine or his... Uh, just above his G1 on his main beam. It's like, that's a, man, that was an interesting break. 
And when they found it, my brother looked at it and goes, oh, hey, it looks like an insect or something bored a hole Mm -hmm. in velvet velvet Mm -hmm. right there where that antler broke. Right. Which we could have assumed that, man, the fighting was terrible around the farm, and he must have gotten a a heck of a fight and broke that antler. He may have just broke it in a very minor, minor sparring match. And it was just like we tested the strength of that antler or he tested the strength of that antler early in the fall and found out it was not very strong. Yeah. And we can get through mediocre and poor habitat in mediocre and mild years. Right. But in years that it's a harsh weather conditions and you have poor habitat, that's when it's like we all oh. scramble and we see ourselves doing things that we were like, now it's emergency mode. It's like, I got to go buy 200 pounds of corn and start dumping it out. Or I got to go buy 1,000 pounds of grain and start dumping it out in various piles. Because I got to feed my deer. Well, we could have been focused on the landscape and fixing the habitat to where there was food year-round. And we had food available during those harsh times. And you didn't have to go get the carrots or the t- the turnips that in the north and go to start dumping or do whatever you got to do to try to help your deer survive. And I air quote that because we have to rely on, on these things when we should have just been focused on the habitat principles at the beginning. Well, yeah. And I think that we have to have a little bit of peace in, in understanding that, listen, these, these animals themselves are incredibly tough. Like they go through this stuff not going to say like it's a breeze. Yeah. However, this is what they're used to. Like, yeah. you know, how many old timers, oh, not winters like we used to have. Like, yeah, this was a cold event. This was a cold snap in a lot of regions that don't normally experience it, experienced it, that, that let's say 50 to 50 year storm. But that 50 year storm, um, generally, like, it's still part of let's say the overall climate of a region, it has the potential, yes, to snow in Louisiana. But the animals and a lot of the the species of whether it's vegetation that are there are there because it can handle these these Mm -hmm. extremes, right? And so when, when we see something like this, to me, I don't ever get like, oh my gosh, this is the end. This is like, this is going to be disastrous. One, because... You only you, think that when the trumpet starts playing, right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it's like, you know, the, the the habitat, you know, it's working, it's functioning, it's in place. We've, we've done what we need to do or we've done what we can do and we've prepped and prepared. But, you know, the, those animals, sure. Are they going to be stressed more so than normal? Absolutely. Yep. But are they going to be fine? Yeah. Most of them, right? Like I, I'm not, I'm not concerned with a average individual who is for their age class at the right weight, um, functioning normally. I'm, I'm not too concerned with it because again, they're supported by the habitat. Like to and, me, and, and even the ones that die, like most of them are going to survive. Correct. The ones that die. That's just survival of the fittest. That's, that's the way nature. nature weeds out. So the ones that typically die are the ones who either they had some form of disease or were injured. A previous injury. Or absolutely. whatever it was. Let's just say they had a genetic mutation where they just, something was wrong. That's g- genetics that, w- that 
we don't want passed down to the next generation. We don't want that in the gene pool, if you will. Well, and it, so they get weeded out. It's just like the antler analogy. Or a lot of times you see those wind storms blow through a forest, and all of a sudden you notice that the hollow ones get knocked out, and the ones that have disease get knocked out, or a fire goes through, and the ones that have a little bit of a disease or a, an injury, they get weeded out. Yeah, two, two things on, on that. It's like, you know, the whole ge- genetic thing, it's it's more or less these these type of events, because it's one single event, it's it's more or less what die or are the individuals who are are just a little slightly weaker um, yep. because of probably something an event um, or a situation that happened in, within their environment in previous months like like an injury like like okay he sprayed that deer broke a back leg or broke a leg and it can't forge or can't get through the snow as easily you oh, all those things add up and probably those are the ones who are the the singled out um maybe they're predated on um that happens that occurs but even the genetic thing you know man these deer are out there on the landscape they're suitable essentially for most of the things that they're going to encounter on the flip side i got a picture texted over from a a, a group of clients over in the Ohio, West Virginia area, many of them experience nasty ice and um, a lot of the Virginia pine. That is just, uh, um, let's say, a, a crummy, scraggly. Sc- yeah, just, and a lot of them are growing in their topography on slopes. So they're trying to reach out above and, and they're leaning and they got that ice on them. They're weaker trees, anyhow. Poof. So many of them toppled down across roads, and it's like, yeah, well, that was a it's a really weak tree growing yeah. on a site that encourages um trees to be- then reach out over top of other trees and grow irregularly um and guess what they succumb to a lot of ice, yeah, and they're down on the ground now, yeah, yeah I'm I, sure I there's mean, a lot of guys dealing with tulip poplar that did the same thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some some areas of of other types of pines um, that that did the same thing, where yeah. you know on on the extreme reaches of of those climates, where they had a lot of pine damage, and that you know, happens. We, we talked that about that with Kyle and Frank about the quail, and how you know you have your central point where they're really strong. There's really quality. The climate's right. The the habitat's right to where they do really well. And as they continue to do well, they expand upon their range. And at some point, severe conditions kind of knock them back to that core area. Mm-hmm. And like so, the, like the fringes get singed, just like a fire yeah. on, on a shrub colony, right? But the center mass producing, seed producing source isn't interfered with. Yeah. So it tries to expand back out over time. And I think what we're seeing in this past week is a, kind of a setback, a reset button where. There's things that are out of place that will get knocked back or populations that were too extreme, too high. I think we see that a lot with winter kills. I, uh, I definitely is do. Deer populations get too high and we get a very severe winter where it's an extended uh, stressful period and the wheat get thinned out Well, and, and, and it's again, unfortunate, but it's the way nature is. that We don't have a landscape that can hold the amount of animals that are occurring there. Well, you you look at that specific area that may have or experienced a winter kill in the years past. I think it was what it was 
2018, 19, there was a there was a nasty cold blast out of uh, um, the north that came into Iowa. And a lot of a lot of areas in southern Iowa, they were they were finding deer dead, frozen, frozen in, in their bed. In their yeah. bed, and it's like, okay, does that mean that the deer aren't able to survive that? No, we work this area a lot. It probably means that there's a lot of deer in that area, and those individuals were stressed because of outside portions of their environment that had extenuating circumstances, and and their fitness was decreased because of the the amount of other deer there. They didn't survive these conditions that healthier deer in the exact same population, exact same property, did survive. Yeah. It's is it unfortunate? Certainly is, but I think at the same time, going back to the whole peace thing about it, this is this is nature. Yeah, stuff happens. But how do we how do we look at that at the landscape and say, hey, are my deer starving? And what are those signs? And then how do we quickly um, say? This is what I would be doing, or if I don't want to experience this again, uh, or if I want to have the same, like, you know, comfort level of, oh, gosh, I don't have to go out and, you know, dump a bunch of feed out to, to make sure they're good. What are the things that we're doing this time, or to, to supply on, the, on a farm this type of habitat, this type of food source for these, these times? But what are the signs that, that you and I talked Wanna what we're looking for to yeah. see? Oh my yeah. gosh. So one of the first ones that you see is just deer vanishing. And so that could be deer. There's two things. It could be that deer are starving or it could just be that the quality food that they need during this time of the year is not present on your property. And what I see a lot in, in all of our travels is you'll see two things. You'll see deer just completely leave a farm but may be found on an adjacent farm. And you say, okay, well, they probably have something over there that's quality food, or at least it's food, and they're leaving to go over there. But if you're in a place where you're like, there's not a deer around, you can drive around here and you're going to see very few deer. But if you go two miles over, there's 200 that are going to be in that field that didn't get cut because it was too wet. Yeah, That's when we know they may not be currently starving because there's that field, but if that field was not there, they would be starving. And, Correct. And and that's that's one of the biggest telltale signs. And and you cannot you cannot rely on a field that didn't get harvested as your insurance to make mm-hmm. sure deer get through. Right? It was an accident that that field didn't get harvested if it was too yeah. wet. Like if that food resource is gone, taken off, you might not be experiencing maybe the 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 success of getting. All these deers, individuals through Did this. You say this deers, deer as in like said all these deers through all of them, man. <laughs> I, I, the interesting story I had with a client uh, a couple weeks ago. He was telling um, a story about in his neighborhood, um, you know, a few miles away, there was a uh, a cornfield that had not been harvested, and it was a very I think it was that 2018 winter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it was, this was Iowa mm-hmm. and, uh, he, he was basically, he said that all the deer in that part of the neighborhood had herded up yep. on this farm to eat the corn mm-hmm. that was still left. And 
the the owner was not a deer guy. He was just couldn't get to it because it's too wet. Well, it finally froze up. He went in there with combine, harvested it. All those deer had shifted <laughs> to that region, yeah. and there was snow everywhere, and they didn't have the energy to hightail it out there. And he said there was a pretty massive kill off mm-hmm. around that herd, mm-hmm. around that field, because the only resource available was now harvested, stripped, taken away. Taken away. That's why I'm like you. I'm surprised there weren't deer throwing ears of corn or rocks at the combine as it went through. <laughs> I, I, this is maybe a, a, a bold statement, but good properties aren't accidental. Like there, it is an intentional management that has to occur for properties to make it through extreme conditions. Yep. And and if you're not thinking about extreme conditions, then you're um, uh, you're, I guess, maybe potentially misled, but it's yep. not by accident or or by again a failed event of being able to harvest that we should be relying on yep. getting through these conditions. We have to be mindful of watching the the habitat and and almost like checking its temperature yep. and saying, "Man, how, how good am I? What are the signs that I'm seeing?" A lot of places had snow. Snow is a fantastic time to get out and see exactly what deer are foraging on. Like you can see their tracks throughout the woods. You can see where they stop. You can see where they, um, where they, uh, forage at and then where they crap at. Like you yeah. can see all these things yeah. and where they bed at, where are they choosing to on this type of hill or on that exposure. It is so easy to read sign but if you're not checking the pulse or checking the temperature of your farm and knowing how wildlife are relating to it, then you're missing a, a huge window. Chad, luckily we were, we were fortunate enough, he was able to go out and walk around and, and shared pictures. And he actually went and sat one night and was like, I can believe the amount of deer that were in I this know. field. That's where I was going. It's like when you think about it, like that. so the farm that we bought, he, he goes down there to watch it and saw – what he believes, he know he knows he saw at least 32 deer on this 16-acre bottom field. Um, most likely, it was more around 40 or more, but he was making a shift to get moved around and bumped into some deer and then got back down and saw that there was more deer in the field and it was a group of bucks, and he knows that he hadn't seen them yet when there was 32. Mm-hmm. But either way, a pile of deer, and I mean, a big part of my childhood, I can remember... I can still think of times driving down the road in late season, early spring, and seeing a 26 deer and just outside of my hometown. I can still, I mean, that was like unheard of. Oh, my goodness, there's 26 deer out there. And now, I mean, we're seeing almost 40 deer or just over 40 deer in one of our bottom fields. That You know, it all sounds great. And it's like, man, we got the deer. But when he told me that, when he called me, I was like, oof, that's a lot of of mouths we got to feed. 40 deer times 2,000, that's how yeah. much they eat annually, 2,000 pounds of, of dry food. I'm, it's like, I'm like, that's a you, lot. You jokers better go back to where you came from as soon as this cold <laughs> front's over because I'm yeah. I i don't I'm not ready for, to hold all of you yet. I'm not ready to house you. It's like having a whole big bunch of friends come over and not then realizing, they don't leave. <laughs> realizing that there's not enough food to go around. Yeah. Hey, guys, I'm yeah. good to feed you for one meal, but right. You know, two, three, and four. They're not be here for breakfast. <laughs> I hope you're ready for ramen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that as a as a landowner and as a as a property manager, as a hunter, um, you have to be able to realize the actual value of an acre. 
it, it would be like, let's say you're a hunter and you, and you don't know the the quality of habitat um, or the let's just say straight up the poundage of food that that acre produces. It would be like being a forester and not knowing how to estimate board foot per acre. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you can't even you can't do your job if you don't know how much food that acre's producing to know what it's supporting or what it's not supporting. How much how what, what's your carrying capacity? I know that get that gets thrown around all the time. What is your carrying capacity? Well, 90% of landowners may not know what their carrying capacity is because we don't know production on the landscape what it is, yeah, or we don't know what the potential is, and and that's where we come in and say, hey, here's probably where you're at baseline, but with this plan implemented, I'm gonna suspect annually you're gonna be producing or have the ability to produce this when it's fully implemented, and it's like now we have an idea. We went from a general, eh poor to mediocre habitat now to extremely functional but what is that actual value then we can determine the carrying capacity the carrying capacity for for you know guys family farm it's like you saw or chad saw 40 and it's like right off the bat it's like oof, i don't really want there to be 40 continually all the time you know and that was just one field yeah Yeah, that that, at that same time we got a one of our emails came through, and there were deer on some of the other food plots. Right. And it was like... You start tallying all these things well, up. Well, there's at least... That eight isn't included. That that other four over there, they, they weren't not. even there. Yep. They were getting towards that field he was looking at, and, and the number just drastically increases. And it's like, yeah, sure, this is one single event over an ex- in an extreme period overlooking a great food source. So, sure, numbers are going to be... Um, let's say disproportional to the rest of the year. However, you start adding things up, you're like, wow, that's like big responsibility to try and feed all those things. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. And and at the same time, so not not only was it a big group of deer, but one thing that he did notice was that a couple of times the fear field kept clearing where mm, deer would be mm, like, mm-hmm. what's that? One deer, one nosy deer thought they saw something they didn't like and decided to run, and the whole field ran back in the timber. Yep. And that's where stress is just like that constant little nagging trait or that nagging little occurrence where it's just like, okay, finally, I've laid up there in that cold bed all day. I need high-energy food. I'm going to eat some carbs. I'm eating these bean pods. Oh, now we got to run back to the timber. Well, right. You're, they're literally running through snow expelling more energy that you in an ideal world right the landscape is not this you know one focal food source there's food they're browsing all the way through or they're browsing throughout the day they're getting up from a bed that's in young forest regeneration and they're they're nibbling on the woody browse that's right there available adjacent to a bed it's it's a functional landscape that's in comparison to a one single giant food source that is great but is supporting all these deer. It's like yeah. you want to you want to say, okay, deer, I'm gonna make everything good in time. Just give give me some of that time. But give me like, a break. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you want to just like shake them out and say spread back out because you're having to be focused around a giant food source. And sure, you want them to be eating 
high quality, high energy food during this time frame. But again, what what if we look at like the diet composition and say, well, the woody browse is adequate. I would like to see you foraging on 50% of that and then 50% of the grains that are left in the field. And if every deer did that, we wouldn't be exhausting the grain crop. We, we'd be having more grain for late February or into March if we get another snow. And it's yeah. like, you can't, you can't even begin to have those conversations if Woody Browson isn't available. Mm-hmm. Or you can't begin to have those conversations if they're literally picking through a field full of snow that the crops were harvested on. Yeah. That's a wasteland. Mm-hmm. And, and, and quite frankly, majority of people's timber is a wasteland. Yeah. Well, you can look at our, where, where that pretty close to that field where we've had a timber operation go on. We've had some TSI go on. And there's still tracks. I mean, you can notice it. At, like, we've had neighbors know. It's like, whoa, what is going on down here? There's tracks everywhere along the road. Like, mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, they're going back and forth. There's quality cover with woody browse. And so I know they're eating woody browse up there. But still, I mean, right now, the easiest picking they have is the standing grain. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if, you know... They can survive on the woody browse, but if there's grains available, they're going to choose that. It's mm-hmm. much easier. It's much more high energy. It's all concentrated. But at the same time, if we've got woody browse through much of the landscape, we know that once that's eaten, they can still survive on the woody browse. And the other point I want to yeah. add is that we cover crop those soybean fields. Mm-hmm. So here we are. We're day two now where it's got up in the 40-plus. I think it even got in the 50s yesterday. It was darn near close. But tomorrow is supposed to be high 40s and Tuesdays in the 60s. Yeah, and so all the snow is going to melt. And now we've got those greens underneath that they're going to be foraging Mm -hmm. on. So that's one way that we helped ensure that even with, you know, for us, we don't get that two foot of snow that sits on the ground till April. We get a few inches or a foot and then it melts the next week or it's on for two weeks and then it and then it greens up for a little bit and then we may get another snow but at least we've got some supplement there or or a diversity of of forage with the woody browse with the cover crop greens with standing grain so some of the other signs that are okay i want to be mindful of of this is when Deer are eating and foraging on things that they shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, and no it's doubt. like, wow, I didn't know what? they ate that. It, it, honestly, if you're saying that as you're walking through your timber, you're driving down the road and saying, "Was that deer? Uh, were they eating that?" And, and a like, lot of times, people think that about woody browse, though. I will point that sure. out. Where people are like they're eating sticks, they're eating the buds. Well, yes, that's a very high quality forage, depending on depending on the. Um, species, but most of our native ones have a pretty high quality mm-hmm. bud or or end of a end of the limb that's or twig that's very high quality forage. Um, I mean, it's highly selected. It's part. It's woody browse is is what they were eating before. Eighty percent of their fields were ever here. Like, yeah, it's probably a bold statement, but depending on the time of year, huge portion of their diet. Um, so so it's and the, and that just it goes further into. Um, as a land manager and hunter, you have to be knowledgeable of the species that you're looking at. Um, 
that deer may be foraging on and then know their, their value. Um, does that have good browse preference or yeah. are they choosing to eat that out of um, starvation? Because, yeah. you know, it, you know, if deer are foraging on things that don't provide a return, then they're metabolizing, spending energy on things that aren't giving them energy. It's like yeah. a do or die situation. Yeah. Their bellies are hungry, they're empty, and they need to do something, and that's only what's available to them. That doesn't get them far down the road. Some of the ones that I see a lot, that, and this is probably one of the biggest debates with our page and what we get tagged on, but eastern red cedar. Mm-hmm. If deer are eating eastern red cedar, they're starving. Yeah. They just don't select it. I've seen Not it in Iowa, um, Indiana, I saw it. I've seen it in Kansas before. Kansas, because that's the only form <laughs> some places yeah. out there. Um, and so if they're eating East Red Cedar, they're starving. Now, before you guys up in Michigan or Minnesota or Wisconsin send us an email saying, Deer eat cedar. We're talking about eastern red cedar. Yeah. We're not talking about white cedar. Deer love white cedar up there. So well, that, and that's, two different things. Again, it's, it's a nuance, but we have to be we have to be good at, at identifying plants because each one is different. Each one has yeah. different value. And then uh, another one that I've seen uh, that's uh, well, um, the Chad's deer that that he shot late season scored like a 160 inch deer. Mm-hmm. Um, that deer had fescue in his mouth, but that deer looked as scrawny as very scrawny. scrawny can get. Yep, he was that deer thin. was very hungry, and he was living on a cattle farm where most of the open ground is fescue. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that deer tried it and was like, "Well, this isn't much, but it's a start. It's it's at least something." I don't know how well his uh, the night he shot it, we were in a hurry, so we didn't cut open his stomach and look because, frankly, we didn't know he had fescue in his mouth when he shot him and and it's sometimes you know deer can be browsing through you know a field of mixed fescue and grab a blade or two of it if they're hitting clover or or um other forbs mixed in the field but yeah if if that deer was consistently trying to forge on fescue yeah we got we got issues but that deer without a doubt was was a thin um i'm not gonna say it was poor but it yeah. was a, definitely a thin deer from from its neckline shoulder belly hams yeah. everything and um another another thin. plant that you'll see uh, well i think a lot of times up north you'll see it with landscaping deer move into the suburbs to start eating and surviving they're eating mm-hmm. hostas they're eating um some of the non-native evergreens they get planted yeah. um i've just seen I've, I've i've seen uh like um, I want to say, uh, gosh, what's it? It's boxwood. Yeah. That like those even those woody shrubby like Ugh. they're they're eating those. Um, you said one pre-show that's not landscaping, but when you see them eating that, multi-flora it's like multiflora rose. Multiflora yep. rose. It's like yep. e. Yep. What are you doing eating that? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all. So anytime you see deer eating something that they don't typically eat, um pretty good sign that they're hungry well and it's a good sign that preferential highest quality food isn't available yeah they're resorting another one we saw in southern else. iowa was eating a lot of sedge in a yeah. in a in a, yep. in a little creek bottom mm-hmm. which we don't typically see and there was like it was it, it was green vegetation <laughs> above snow and it was eaten down to the snow level if i see a lot of sedges being consumed the most time i see them is like that 
very late winter right before the spring flush. Yep. Like when it when it is growing along like the, the wet seams of a hillside, a north slope or something like that, you'll see them occasionally eating it. But that means there's not a lot of other green vegetation around yet. Oh. But as soon as that next week hits and it warms up, right now now there's a lot of a lot yeah. of other options that have sprouted. But when yeah, you see them looking at the secondary tertiary level of preference the high quality stuff's already been consumed. And if they're doing that in early February, in a lot of places, there's still quite a bit of winter left. Yeah. You know, the, the the guys who are sitting up there now, and it's still, you know, the Wisconsin, the Pennsylvania, the Minnesota, um, Illinois, all Ohio, all these different areas, we've got a lot of winter left. Yeah. And, and if we're seeing these types of activities and behavior – from deer that those are the clues that off season I need to be focusing essentially on late season food and and trying your best to encourage the young woody brows um the twigs the brambles all those things to come back yep. and be readily available to get deer through this time frame. The guys that are holding the deer right now are the ones who've been managing for the extreme time frames mm-hmm. because it is an extreme time frame. And so whatever's wherever the deer are, that's what you should be trying to replicate on your farm to say, okay, you know, I don't want to lose all the deer. You know, it's not ideal to have the whole deer herd for even the surrounding area, like what's occurring on our farm. But that's out of our control because unless we go and start cutting and putting woody vegetation or woody browse available on our neighboring farms, that's going to continue to occur. We just need to make sure that we can feed these deer, even with the influx of the extreme conditions that may occur late winter or late summer if you're down south. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's there's certainly that, that uh, let's say, a sense of responsibility, but a sense of um, y- y- you have to be looking for the signs you have to be observant and then you have to be knowledgeable to identify what it is they're doing is is this normal ask yourself that question should i be seeing this should i be experiencing this should deer be foraging on this or that and um you know i'm gonna say many of the times but um, in stressful events many of the times no they're not because habitat may may be inadequate or or you say i don't have anything to observe guys um literally there's no deer on the property you're just flat out not offering that that resource that they need. Someone else is. Yeah. They, they have they have left. They have vacated. Well, you sure hope, or the deer, you sure hope that right. Some, the deer ruled is. out that it's not there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. They they've moved on to greener pastures. Let's yeah. say, um, or or are in least search of greener pastures. Yep. Those are some quick, like these are the signs. Be looking for this. Um, yeah. But but also take take some refuge in. Uh, um, knowing the fact that, listen, deer are adaptable. They are incredibly resilient to extremes, and yep. they've gone through way worse than what we're experiencing. When you mm-hmm. think about Canada, how many deer are in Canada? Oh. Tons. They do this every winter. Yeah, we just yep. we just in your respective area have to be offering those abilities for them to seek the refuge um in the quality cover but then also have that that food source in spatially uh, on the landscape 
in, in an area that makes sense. You I, know? And, you know, you mentioned that. about. I'd love the opportunity to manage a track in mm-hmm. Canada mm-hmm. to take our knowledge and say, yeah. let's do it. Because I really, truly believe that a lot of the the winter kills that are occurring could be fixed. There, there's a and, lot of species up there. From from a woody standpoint, there's some a lot of the softwoods. Um, well, don't give it away. We need to get hired to go up there. <laughs> that you manipulate them appropriately. There's a lot of woody browse. Yeah, a lot of woody. And I, I I I look at like, you know, people talk about ah, oh, you're from the south. You don't understand what the winters. No, I I get it. The winters are terrible. But I also get the fact that that's why we're you don't coming have the- what fixes. It's like for every problem, there's a solution. Mm-hmm. And when I look at winter problems, winter stress, I say, cover food. Oh, it's the same thing. You can have woody brows available. Now, that comes in a long list of species to fill that void. But that's the start. That's the group of items that we need to promote on your place. And how many times do you go up north and it's browse line? Yeah. And there's no timber management. It's chock full of invasives. Mm-hmm. You're like, we got to do something here. I mean, I, that's why I'm looking yeah. forward to our habitat workshop yeah. in Michigan, just outside yep. of Grand Rapids, yep. with our client and, and pal Jason, and to to show that what you see on his place is not what the neighborhood looks like. Correct. And and that's why, honestly, we're I would say overly intentional about managing with principles. Yeah. Principles of, of wildlife management are the principles that, that, that deer need or how, let's say, the natural world works. They don't change whether you're in Canada or whether you're in Texas. They are what they are there. The principle is we're managing for deer, and these are these are your climates. These are your yep. extremes. Let's cover the basis and get there, so, and here's how we're going to do it. For sure. So... We're talking about herding up animals. Obviously, winter kills a pretty good sign. When you're finding deer dead, that's a sign that your deer are starving. Too or late. That, yeah, it's too late. Um, or, or you have a, an overabundant of deer in an area. If mm-hmm. you're seeing some of them killed back from, you know, let's say extreme temperatures, it, it, it's an indication that there is just general stress among the herd. Mm-hmm. And when we see body weights decreasing yep. throughout the winter. Massive too, losses. Right. You know, yep. quarter quarter to a third per you know percent of their body weights. That's a big sign that things when aren't you're right. noticing uh, deer eating things that they don't typically eat, uh, or they're moving into the suburbs and they're eating landscaping. That's a pretty good sign that oh, they're really missing something. They're having to rely on non-native species to get them through the winter. That's yeah. that. There's something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some of the main things. But some of the biggest items that you could use to help lower these stress levels or provide um, answers to these problems is by increasing woody browse availability. So yep. increase the overall food available on the landscape through woody browse, whether it be hinge cutting or planting shrubs or cutting trees and letting them stump sprout back. Those are all some major wins. Um, another one would be cover cropping your crop fields. So if the snow does melt, there's greens mm-hmm. available. Um, and and just overall um, diversifying your landscape through 
different types of blends in your food plots or different types of blends in your cover crops, different types of shrubs, different types of trees that different you types cut. Of timber harvesting. Yeah. All methods. those are, are ways to help promote uh, more food availability, more cover availability. Another thing you can do to help lower stress levels is those thermal cover pockets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a couple guys from Texas. Well, our friends over on the Element podcast, mm-hmm. they commented and said, look at this. They've got a deer, a couple deer beds under a cedar tree. I'm like, oh, you know, it makes total sense. I'd leave the cedars for that 30-year extreme temperature um, so that then so 30 years from now when you get that weather again your deer are prepared they're there right <laughs> forget about the rest of the the, the years in between yeah. yeah so you know uh, i i think that thermal cover is a huge it's a huge priority this time of year and so what you're looking for are those those evergreens or those elevation changes where deer can get out of the wind but still get the sun when it does shine so Mm -hmm. don't get your cedar trees or your pine trees too thick to where the sun can't penetrate through get them spaced out to where they can use them as a wind block but they can also catch that sun when it does shine through so and and at the most importantly when that sun does shine through it melts that snow so they're not laying on a snowpack rather than laying on grass so uh, all those things are are uh, crucial and easy things that you can do to help lower the stress levels during these difficult times. So Certainly. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining us once again. Hopefully it's going to warm up around you sometime soon. And uh, be prepared for our next series that's going to launch next week. Jump over to the podcast number two this week as Kyle and Frank take over and give a lot of great information on Prescribed Fire wrapping up that series. So check it out. Matt, last thoughts? A lot of real estate's moving, guys. We haven't hit real estate in a while, but if you guys need, have any questions or looking for a place, we'd love to be able to help you out. Oh. Um, it's crazy how how much real estate is, is moving there. The inventory is certainly low. Every um, agent I've talked to, inventory is low. I haven't talked to any agents from the cities in Minneapolis or New York or on the coast, but that's where most of our people are coming from that we're, are we're buying a, a, around a us. A lot of so. the coast, the the bookends of the country come yeah. in um, definitely westward and eastward um, to the center of the, of the country. So if you guys are looking for land, let us know. We'd love to help you out. Send us an email, info at landlegacy.tv, and we'll get back with you. Appreciate you guys listening. Yep. See ya. Yeah.